Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's happening, Night fans? Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, we're recording this on uh, a little early, actually, Tuesday, October 25th, because uh, we got a very busy week ahead of us. But uh, lots to talk about from a very busy weekend in UCF sports and another busy weekend uh, coming up. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, and also look us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com, as well as on Facebook, Black and Gold Banneret. Eric, what's going on, man? Not much. I'm glad that we have, uh, we're have we very civil and we have no conflicts. Yeah. Well, that's that's because, you know, on air it's like that. But you know, we argue all the time off the air. Can I actually say yeah. that? Yeah, I always wondered this. Can I actually say on the air on a podcast? Because you're not really on the air. Like, you're on the air, right? No one's ever clarified this for me. Anyway, so, um, sorry, went off, on, went off on a wild tangent. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. Um, you can, we're, first, we're going to start off by looking back, like you hinted, at the civil conflict that apparently is no more. Um, we just left the hardware there, which was funny. Uh, UCF against UConn. What I thought was a big road win, another big road conference win. Um, we're going to preview... We've been looking forward to this one for a while. UCF in Houston coming up this week. Uh, and we're also going to look at, um, well, Bob Diaco's complaining. And we're going to take a look at women's soccer with a huge win in overtime this past weekend yep. against uh, East Carolina. A desperately needed win on senior day. We're going to look at volleyball. Um, so you split the weekend, their home weekend, uh, and have another home weekend coming up. And men's soccer, too, of course. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, get started here with football against UConn. UCF gets the win 24-16, to a game where they trailed 13-0 in the middle of the uh, second quarter, uh, but came back uh, and, actually trailed, and actually trailed by as much as 16-7 as to with uh, 85 seconds to go before the half. Um, the turning point... With one second to go before halftime, I thought this actually was ill-advised, and it's a good thing it turned out the way it did. 19-yard touchdown pass from Mackenzie Milton to Jordan Akins with one second left on the clock, capped off a uh, nine-play, 75-yard drive just before the half to put UCF within striking distance at 16-14. And then Milton with two more touchdown passes, uh, in the, or rather or one more touchdown pass for three on the day. In the third quarter, he hit Adrian Killens over the middle for a 39-yarder to put UCF up 21-16, and that was pretty much it. UCF tacked on a fourth-quarter field goal from Matthew Wright. And uh, Mackenzie Milton, three touchdown passes. Rainy day in UConn. It looked like things were good. Might have get, been getting 
close to out of hand in the second quarter. And then all of a sudden, things just kind of turned around. Uh, Milton led long drives, 93 yards, 75 yards, 75 yards. Those were the touchdown drives that we had in this ballgame. And UCF comes up with another big road conference win uh, that was a response after a heartbreaking loss. Remember the ECU game on the road, the conference opener, was after the, the overtime loss to Maryland. This game at UConn in bad weather uh, comes right after the heartbreaking loss to Temple. So are we starting to see a pattern here, Eric Lopez? This team uh, has a rather short memory, and that can be a good thing, it looks like. Well, a lot of times when you're young, you have a short memory, and that's what this team is. It's very young I'm still. I'm getting old, but... and my memory is getting shorter. Well, that's true, too. Uh, no, it was a good response, and I thought it was a very important second half. I thought the defense was lights out in the second half. They made the big stops when Connecticut yes. was driving late in the game, and I thought offensively they were mature. Uh, and you're right, the end of the first half, that was huge. That touchdown turns the momentum. I felt it changed the, the, the shift of the game, and it was great to see Killings involved. And, you know, I felt this was not going to be a pretty game. It, you know, you knew the weather was going to be a factor and the, and the conditions were going to be a factor. And I think the, the, the encouraging thing that I take away from this game, if nothing else, is this team showed that it can win an ugly game and, 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 and it doesn't have to win pretty. And I think that's a great sign of this team's character. And Scott Frost has talked about it and he talked about it again after the game about this team's character and, and, and their work ethic and, and their enthusiasm for the game and, and earning this victory. We played a whale of a football team. I think U- UConn is a really talented team. Um, our our players have been through a lot in the last week uh, after the, the way the last game ended, and I can't say enough about their character to rebound and, and fight another close game and find a way to win it. That's the thing, Jeff. I, I, I just This team just doesn't really – they play hard no matter what, and, and, and they, they earned it. And uh, a lot of teams would have kind of mailed it in or – and still have a hangover after the heartbreaking loss to Temple, but you know, and they dug themselves a hole early, but they never, I never got a sense, Jeff, that they were in panic mode at all. I thought they were calm, and I think Scott brings that, don't you? I think Scott Frost brings some calm into this team as well, and, and uh, I, I thought it was very encouraging, very encouraging, great effort by the defense again, and I thought the offense uh, did some nice things and. I think uh, I'm pleased with the – got to be pleased with the win. You beat UConn for the first time, believe it or not, since 2013, and you get a road win in not the most uh, uh, of nice of conditions from a weather standpoint. So I, I, I was uh, – I think you have to be pleased. You know what's the word that I thought of after the game? Confidence. Uh-huh. This team fell down. They were confident. They didn't lose their confidence. Right. They, they thought, hey, you know what, yeah, we might be down, but – we can play with this team. And then they clawed back into the game. And the other thing with confidence, too, is look at Milton's. Look at how UCF won this game with Milton's numbers. He was, he was stellar in this game. 29 of 45 for 317 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He was sacked once. Uh, when he got into trouble, he threw the ball away, which is exactly what you needed to do in those kinds of conditions. And again, UCF had the confidence, and the offensive staff had the confidence in him to put this bad weather game in his hands because the running game, this is actually not UCF's best performance uh, in the running game. Only 113, or excuse me, 83 net yards rushing on 30 total attempts. Uh, Don Travius Wilson was the leading rush with 57 yards on 11 carries. Uh, but that's just 2.8 yards a carry as a team total. 
And uh, I thought that was what really stood out for me in this game was how confident they were in Mackenzie Milton on the road in bad weather um, getting the job done. And then you mentioned the defense. And uh, this cannot be overstated how fantastic they were uh, in this ballgame as a total. Uh, now, I know UConn ended up with 413 total yards, but to do that and then still hold them under 20 points, in fact, under 17 points, um, was, to me, a really impressive performance. Even though UConn ran 80 plays and averaged 5.2 a play, um, the defense did what they what they said, bend but don't break, right? And they, bend, yep. they bent a lot, but they did not break. And credit to Eric Shenander and the defensive staff that came up with the plays uh, when they needed to. I'm trying to pull up the third down. Here they are. UCF and UConn were both in this game, 5 of 17 on uh, third downs. and uh, But the Knights got the job done on defense, man. And that's, uh, that's a real credit to uh, what this defense was able to do. No question about it. And, and, again, that's the encouraging thing. And as we'll get into when we talk about the Houston game is, you know, this defense is playing with a lot of confidence. And I think that's good going into a Houston game, and and, and they're and they're making plays, and and then they're aggressive, and uh, it's a positive win for the program, and uh, it's a it, and yet I like the attitude. It's hey, it's no big deal. We just move on to the next game, and uh, big window. Get to uh, you know we talked about let in the previous uh, podcast about if this team wants to get to a bowl game, they needed to win this UConn game, and I think that was critical, and they did that, and now. Yeah, all of a sudden you get a chance to play a Houston team that's got a little uh, adversity. So you never know what happens, and uh, for whatever it's worth, you're st- you're still in the conference race. And uh, while you might need some help, perhaps down the road, you never know. So um, I think this team is growing and it's learning on the fly. Now that wasn't the entire story from this game because I think what actually came about, or at least the fun part, was afterwards. So Bob Diaco, the head coach of UConn who invented this civil conflict rivalry out of thin air, seemingly. After the game, UCF just left the field without the trophy. All right, so here's uh, angry Ken Bone with his red sweater, also known as uh, Bob, UConn head coach Bob Diaco, um, on uh, Tuesday morning after the UCF game. Central Florida was the cream of the crop. Easy for me to say, hey, would you be interested in a trophy game to add some intrigue, to add some interest, to add some true, fair, wonderful, intercollegiate, awesome uh, energy? Yes. In fact, I'd be interested. Has this gotten more copy and conversation than the championship game a year ago? So Houston played Navy in the championship game. Was it covered nationally as widely as our rivalry and our trophy game? So I don't really understand why it was a bad idea. I really don't. And, and I'm sorry to everyone that um, I had an idea. So what's your idea? How do we make these games relevant to our fans and followers? How do we add and make sure America understands that the American Conference is every bit as good as all these other leagues. What's your idea? So, yeah, clearly. Um, they didn't go get it. Uh, very disappointing to me. 
It seemed like a fun thing for kids and young people and young men and two years. It just seemed like a fun intercollegiate piece. I say, can you believe the chutzpah of this guy? I mean, this is oh. unbelievable. I think he's, you know, I think this is actually now a rivalry. Like in in terms of UCF, like saying, "Hey, this this is no rivalry. This is now a rivalry." Jemias Pittman of the Knights yeah. uh, on Twitter a couple minutes after the game was over said on Twitter, "We didn't want that poop emoji, poop emoji conflict in quotation marks trophy a trophy emoji, and then hashtag ain't no conflict." I mean, <laughs> see, like now. Because one of us is saying, stop it, this is not a thing, now it's a thing. Because Diaco just threw UCF's administration under the bus. Well, we don't even know who he's talking about. I know. We like, don't know if he's saying that this about O'Leary or someone in the uh, in the UCF offices. But either we don't way... Even know, right, we don't even know if the person he talked to is still even at UCF, right. for all we know. And he wouldn't even I, I, clarify that when he was no. asked about it. So... He's trying so hard to make this a thing. I almost admire it. <laughs> I think it's a rivalry in UConn's mind. I don't know if UCF will ever accept this as a rivalry uh, because, and I mean, I'm I'm amazed at how like much attention this has gotten. It's gotten national attention. Scott Van Pelt on his Sports Center show that he does uh, most of the weeknights at midnight addressed this. On his one big thing segment that he does, which is fantastic. I'm a big fan of it. And he talked about rivalries. And then he brought up the UCF Connecticut here. Let's play. Let, let's listen to hear what he said about it. I get what Diaco is going for. These things take some time. Heck, maybe Paul Bunyan's acts seemed silly initially, but they didn't have social media around to mock the idea. I don't know. Heck, maybe the governors of Connecticut and Florida could get involved, bet something, jazz it up a little bit. Probably not. As Rob Bass explained to us, it takes two to make a thing go right. It also takes two to have a civil conflict. This is amazing because now, now this is a national story. Now this is going to be a thing heading into the game next year. Because we're going to revisit yeah, I, this. I, I mean, we've, we, now, it's, sure. now it's for real. Yeah, but I kind of agree with Scott, Scott Van Pelt in that. It takes two to make a rivalry, right? It takes two to make a civil conflict. And if and UCF, I don't think, has ever wanted to participate in this. And I think UConn is trying to force this on them. So it's very fascinating. I can't think of an exa- another example like this. Can you? Where a team is trying to force something there as a rivalry or, or, or something like that. And it's just, I can't think of it. It would be almost the equivalent. I mean, the only, like, like the equivalent of this would be something like, kind of would be if the, maybe if like, I don't know. I can't even think of a, a, well, a similar I think, comparison. I think it would be about, like you know what it, is? it would be like if the Arizona Cardinals just decided to make a trophy when they faced the New York Giants or something <laughs> like that. And yeah. the Giants, like, what are you talking about? Well, I I think that the closest thing I can come to in terms of saying that seeing this was that believe it or not, like there was a time about a decade ago when USF still looked at us like we were basically a community college. Um, even though, you know, UCF's trad- at that time, they were in conference USA and we were, you know, at least for football and, and at least for football, we were in the Mac and we were in the a sun and everything else. And they were, they were in conference USA. And 
we were trying to say, hey, let's get this thing going. Let's get a little rivalry going on the football field. And they just kind of kept us at arm's length. Until finally, both schools this year agreed, okay, let's make this a thing now between us. It's official now. It makes sense for the both of us. Diaco is trying to make this thing happen between two schools that have absolutely nothing to do with each other other than they're in the same conference. Right. There's not a lot in common. Like the UCF-USF, I mean, there was a lot of uh, things that made a lot of sense for that to be a rivalry. So I, you know, a lot of people yeah. are saying, yeah, that could be a rivalry. There's nobody saying that for UCF-UConn. Nobody. There's none at all. Other than the first two letters are the same. That, 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 no, none of that, <laughs> none of that makes any sense. So, but now I think he's successfully met. He's, I think he's accomplished his goal. He's now created a little bit of bad blood because now they're out for it. They're like, hey, look at how they disrespected us. They left the trophy out on the field. They yeah, maybe from their end. house on their end. Right. But now they're, they come into our they come into our stadium next year and they're going to they're going to come out guns ablazing, at least that, you know, assuming Bob Diaco st- is still around, which he may very well be. But um, again, I'm going to be interested to see what Scott Frost does about this now. You know what? What does he think about it? Because they, they, he, you know, we wouldn't have left the trophy there if he had said, "Hey, go get that trophy." You know what I mean? But like Scott yeah, Van Peltas, you know, alluded to in his piece, and and I'll put a link to the video because the video is great too in the show notes. Like Scott Van Pelta uh, mentioned, you know, when you know Minnesota um, defeats, uh, I think it's Wisconsin for Paul Bunyan's axe. Yeah, like or whoever it is that they're playing for, you know, they run to that trophy and go grab that thing and, you know, parade it around the stadium like they just won the Vince Lombardi trophy. That, you know, we just left the trophy there sitting on the end of the bench and you see this, you see like the the wide shot um, in the video of some, you know, UConn sports, you know, um, equipment intern like, you know, sheepishly going over to the end of our bench and picking up the trophy and putting it in the back of a of a golf cart and driving off. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I thought that that was a boss move, to be honest with you, to just leave that thing there and be like, you know what? We don't want this. Thanks. Nice try. See you next year. You know, Yeah, I think that's going to be the attitude moving forward, to be honest. I don't see any, I don't see this changing. This is great. <laughs> like, I, I'll, I'll tell you this school that we do have, I think, actually more of a rivalry with team we're playing this week Houston Cougars and uh Houston right now it, it, and just to segue off of this Houston and UCF you know they we played so many great games with them before Houston was the first team that uh, first ever top 25 ranked team that UCF ever beat in school history the Cougars right now at six and two uh three and two in the league you know at one point in the top five ranked in the top five nationally or were they number six I think is where they peaked out is that right Eric yeah, yeah. Number six is where they peaked, but they've lost two of their last three, and they've both been on the road in conference at Navy. The forty-six forty loss in Annapolis, and then last week, boy, they just laid an egg against SMU in Fort Worth or in Dallas, rather thirty-eight sixteen. They were a disaster in that game, and uh, and now looking, lo and behold, here we come into uh, into Houston to play the Cougars. I I've seen we we've seen these two teams get together so many times before. I mean the the last time we were in Houston, Greg Ward Jr. was about six inches from the game tying touchdown when the ball was knocked out of his hands by Brandon Alexander. 
boy, this. Uh, there, then there was the game in 2013 that went down to the final possession and the defensive stand yeah. at the goal line. Sure. Um, you know, obviously we beat Houston way back in the Citrus Bowl. You know, we, well, these yeah. two teams have played some serious games that are rivalry worthy, don't you think? Yes. You know, it's funny. I, I'm a big proponent of that. It's funny you mentioned that because a lot of people at UCF Houston, I think, have had a great rivalry in, in, in multiple sports. Obviously, I, I from the softball and it's a very was a big rivalry in Conference USA and it still is in the American Conference. But you look at football and you brought it up. I think back to, for example, 2005 at the Citrus Bowl, uh, yep. UCF got bowl eligible. For the first time that season, they knocked off Houston in a dramatic game. Kevin Cobb was the quarterback. Uh, he got sacked. Paul Carrington, it was loud in the Citrus Bowl. The Houston yes. the Houston win did make us bowl eligible. And you're right, Kevin Cobb, who, you know, was who parlayed into an NFL career. Um, you know, we ended up bottling him up in that game. You're right. That was another thrilling game that season. It was an exciting game, one of the better games I've ever been to. Uh, and it was a great game. UCF got to a bowl eligible. Obviously, we know the rest of the history in that. So that was a great football game. And, and then that was Artie Bryles, and who was the head coach there, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Art Bryles was the uh, head coach. I mean, fast forward a little bit. 2009, UCF and Bright House with Brent Harvey running all over a Houston team that was a top 10 team with Kevin Sumlin at the head coach and Case Keenum. And Case Keenum, yeah. Her- and UCF won that game, an exciting game, 37-32. I was at uh, that I, game as well. Uh, that was I was working for UCF at the time, and and yeah. uh, Houston was starting to look uh, like they had the, you know, they had the look of getting some national um, recognition. I think when Case Keenan was having that that season of his, and then yeah. they come into UCF, and uh, uh, this was when Brett Hodges came in as a, as the quarterback after uh, Rob Calabrese was benched, and. Um, that was part of that streak that got UCF to the St. Petersburg Bowl that year. It is. That's correct. Uh, that was a great football game. Uh, think back to 2013, uh, the magical UCF Houston. That was a showdown in the conference game. It was a night game on ESPN, too. I remember I was at the game. It was packed, and it came down to a goal line stand by the UCF defensively. It was a game where like Storm Johnson fumbled the ball. UCF mm-hmm. had some turnover issues. Houston was led by John O'Corn, who was the quarterback. He's uh, now in Michigan. From- Right, he played his high school ball at St. Thomas Aquinas. Houston drove down late to the game, uh, to the to the goal line or the ten yard line. I'll never forget. He was going for the end zone on a, I think it was a post pattern, and and Brandon Alexander got his fingertips on it, deflected the pass on a third and goal. Uh, Cranberry, I believe, was the receiver, and he was open, and he would have caught it for the game winning touchdown, and that would have changed the complexion of the conference. If Houston would have won that game, possibly Houston would have won the conference, not UCF. But UCF won that game. It was a dramatic game, drew big television numbers uh, in the Orlando market. And then the following year, those game you're referring to in Houston, it was a Thursday night game. Houston's driving with Greg Ward at the time. Now this is when Greg Ward was kind of the came out uh, coming actually, out of party. Actually, it because, was that it was that game when he actually took yeah. over the quarterback position yeah. because I remember they started somebody else. I forget John O'Corn. Yeah, Corn you're right, John O'Corn, and they benched him for Greg yes. Ward, and then they came back in that game and nearly won it. And what's funny is Greg Ward was a wide receiver. Right. Uh, and it was kind of funky, the game. And you're right, Holman, UCF couldn't put him away. And Houston was driving. And you and just remember uh, Ward running towards the, the, the goal line there by the by the sideline. And he dives and Brandon Alexander's there and knocks the ball away. And everybody, nobody's like, what's going on? Is it a touchback? And it was. It was called the touchback. It was a dramatic win for UCF. And even last year, 
it, it, it turns out to be a a mark a, a game that will be remembered. Unfortunately, for the wrong reasons, it was a game that UCF remember jumped out to a ten nothing lead on Houston. Now at this point, Houston was starting to kind of steamroll and become Houston. Uh, what you know, they had the ma- magical year going to the winning the conference and going to the Peach Bowl. U- UCF actually jumped on them ten nothing, and then Houston just kind of onslaught them. They scored right before the half, and they could dominated the second half. I think they scored like fifty six unanswered or something like to that. Ten was the final. Fifty nine unanswered or something like that. It was either fifty six point. It was a long. It, it, I tried to block it out, but <laughs> what's noteworthy about that? That turns out was George O'Leary's last football game as head coach at UCF. Yeah. That's how, and that was it. Uh, the next day he resigned. So that has a bit of an input on that. And now here we are in the twenty sixteen edition. And you're right. I think these two are very similar. They're in very attractive markets who are capable of being top 25 programs at every sport. They are both in a rich state for high school talent in football. Both They're big both- metropolitan public universities. Absolutely. Uh, and both have to go up against stiff competition in the state. UCF's got to go up against Florida and Florida State and Miami. Houston's got to go up against Texas and Texas A&M. And now if you want to throw Baylor in there and TCU, obviously. So there's a lot of competition uh, from both sides, but both teams have won major bowl games for the American Conference. UCF in the 2014 Fiesta Bowl, first year as an American Conference member, beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl, a school from the state of Texas. Fast forward to last season, Houston in the All-Access Bowl goes to the Peach Bowl and beats Florida State, a school from the state of Florida for their marquee win. So uh, there's a lot of similarities, and both I think both programs and both fan bases believe – they both definitely believe they should have been in the Big 12 and both believe they're a Power 5-type school. So I've always enjoyed it. Obviously, I, I've gone to Houston many a times with softball, so I've, I've kind of seen it from the softball rivalry standpoint. But I've gone to the campus. I like the campus. I like everything about it. So, yeah, I, to be honest with you, if I ranked it uh, from a conference rivalry, I think South Florida is obviously number one in football. And then after that, you probably, I guess, UCF fans would probably say East Carolina. But after that, I would say that Houston should be third. I would say Houston because of the games I've just mentioned and the similarities – and I think both programs are fighting similar battles, don't you? I agree. Now, I, found, I find this interesting. UCF and Houston have played seven times. First meeting was back in uh, 05. It was that game at the Citrus Bowl. 31-29 was the yep. final in that game. The Knights have won five of the seven matchups. Last year's game snapped a four-game winning streak for, Houston, for UCF against Houston. But here's the thing that's interesting. UCF has never beaten Houston by more than a touchdown. Margin of victory was going, going back through time. Two, five, seven, five, and five have been the, have been the margins of victory for UCF. Houston, the two times Houston's beat UCF, the first one was by 20 points in 2006. The second one was by 49 last year. So this I, I thought that these two teams actually played more often, but they don't. They've only played seven times. This will be the eighth meeting. And I'm really interested to see how this matchup is going to shake out with Houston kind of coming back to earth after they knocked off Oklahoma uh, in, their, in their opener and they got all the national headlines and then things have started to come apart in conference play. Coming off of the loss, UCF coming off, you know, 
coming off of a big uh, road victory against UConn, going on the road again. Tom Herman has kind of seen the uh, bloom come off the rose a little bit. Um, I think even you were saying that he was all but a shoe-in for a big-time job, probably most likely Texas. Yeah, I would bet Texas, yes. I don't know if that's still going to be the case now, but uh, nonetheless, here, let's listen to Tom Herman uh, previewing UCF from uh, this week's press conference. Oh, he's got those guys playing great in that system. They're they they very similar to Oregon. Uh, they're they're going to run to set up the the play action pass, and they're going to want to run it and have a lot of misdirection with motions and all that. So um, he's done a really really good job in a, a short amount of time. Well, fair enough. But uh, you know, I I still think Coach Herman's a very good head coach. I do think he's going to get a big time job. But do you think that maybe his chance at the Texas job has evaporated a little bit? No, I don't, and I'll say I'll tell you why. First of all, he was a grad assistant at Texas under Mac Brown. Uh, I, I think people are going to have glimpses. I mean, what he's done at Houston is still remarkable, and I think what's happened with Houston this season. And I didn't pick Houston to win the conference this year before the year, and the reason was last year Houston kind of was under the radar. Houston kind of snuck yeah. up on some people, and they had a chip on their shoulder. They had something to prove. Uh, and, and everything broke right, and you had that magical year. UCF can relate to that. 2013, a lot of things broke right. You know, It was very magical. So what happened this year, now you come in, opening game of the season, you beat, and now everybody's talking about Oklahoma, and you beat Oklahoma, and now you're talking about the Big 12, and you're talking about the Big 12. And the $5 million that, bonus in your right. contract if you get into sure. the Big 12. All that stuff. And meanwhile, so now you've, you know, so you're doing all that stuff. Meanwhile, everybody now you're the target in the American Conference. Everybody circles you for your their game. And and Tom Herman mentioned this as well in this week is you know the they've had three losses in the two seasons. They lost at UConn last year. They lost at Navy this year, and of course at SMU last week. All three games, those schools stormed the field after the win. The students stormed the field, and what it tells you is they're the target now. And I don't think the you know that you could tell the players. To me, they are now know what it's like to have a bullseye on them. And I think some of the players have been caught off guard with that. And I think that's what happened. I saw the SMU game and I watched the Navy game. The Navy game was unique because, and you know, this Navy plays that unique triple option style. It was rainy and slick. Yeah, it was like uh, they were playing another sport out there in that game. Yeah. Uh, and then the SMU, I mean, SMU, you could tell that was like their bowl game. you know, And that's a big rivalry for them. I think I know, I've, you know, and there's been sp- Maybe some internal issues, discipline issues. Uh, you do wonder if all the Tom Herman rumors, you know, maybe hurt this team. You wonder. Let's be honest. Once they beat Oklahoma, I know, and beat friends of mine in Houston, they were thinking they were talking playoff. They weren't talking American Conference title. They were talking playoff. And you wonder when they lost to Navy, if the balloon kind of popped there, and it's all of a yeah. sudden like, oh, you know. Um, that being said, this is interesting this Saturday. And I think what Tom Herman is selling is that they nobody's beaten them at home, which is true, in the since he's gotten there. And I think they will be ready to play this Saturday. I, I actually would have preferred that they would have beaten SMU and and then yeah. UCF could have snuck in there. I, I actually don't think that works to their advantage. I don't look, he still can coach. And Greg Ward is still very talented. Greg Ward's had some turnover issues this year. I think that's where also Houston's gotten themselves in trouble. And we talk about this game for UCF. For them to pull this upset, and it is still an upset. There are two touchdown underdog, 12 to 14 points, depending on where you're looking. 
I, I see. Defense, t- by the way, I see ten points on ESPN.com. But either way, still a okay. Uh, so well, what, what that tells me is people are putting money on UCF. Then, in, in fact, uh, in, in fact, I just refreshed the page and it jumped down to nine. I the wow. money the money is pouring in on UCF right now. <laughs> well, a lot of people must be banking on a couple on the fact two things that maybe they feel that Houston is just going to tank it the rest of the year, or they're just going to be flat, or you know, are uh, still licking their wounds. And the other thing might be the fact that, hey, Houston's defense, which was playing very well early in the year, has had some injuries, and they've struggled recently or lately. Uh, they got, you know, SMU moved the ball at them at will. So I think there's a combination of those things. But can UCF's defense continue to contain Greg Ward, keep him in the pocket, and force some turnovers? And then on the other side of the ball, can UCF run on Houston? Because Houston's been a very good run defense. They shut, you know. But can UCF kind of exploit that a little bit like Navy did to a certain degree? I think will be very fascinating. Um, you know, I, I think the interesting thing about this matchup, in years past, they were the contrast of styles. Houston would run their typical spread offenses, whether it be Art Bryles or Kevin Sumlin or last year with Tom Herman. Whereas UCF with Greg o, uh, George O'Leary would run the pro set. And you know this from being inside of it. Your yep. UCF strategy was always to run the football and play clock. And control keep them the off clock. the field. Right. That was always the strategy. Well, now Scott Frost is really not that big of a deal about time of possession. In fact, they're probably now more similar than they have been. And Tom Herman acknowledged that, talking about how they compared a lot to Oregon and what they do over there at Oregon. Tom Herman kind of uses what the Urban Meyer offense uses spread, but also sprinkled in a little Oregon himself. But so now they're more similar. So this could be a track meet. Um, it could be a track meet on both sides. I expect a, a lot of points on both sides because Houston's got some injuries on the defensive side. And it could come down to UCF, A, holding Houston to field goals. We saw how Houston's kicking game was an issue in the SMU game as well. And play good red zone defense and forcing some turnovers. And then on the offensive side, same thing. Don't force – don't turn the ball over. You know, Houston had a battle with Tulsa. They won the game basically because Tulsa fumbled the ball that was returned for a game-winning touchdown with about a minute and change to go. Yeah. So I, I think and this will be so, a And even so, they game. they needed that goal line stand against Tulsa to win that game yeah. with, a, with the pass right there at the very end. Correct, 38-31 final. So I, I think that's probably why a lot of people are picking UCF because I think they're confident that UCF can score on Houston. And uh, I, I think UCF will represent themselves very well. Uh, I, I could see this game being a 45-31 type of game, don't you? Yeah, I do. And you look at the averages, that's pretty much what they're looking for. Houston's averaging 39.4 a game on offense. UCF averaging 32. Both teams are giving up in the range of 21 to 24 a game. Both teams are averaging about uh, over 400 yards of total offense. Um, Houston's averaging 480, UCF 403. Um, Houston with a little bit of an advantage in terms of uh, the defense. Their rush defense has been very good this year. They're only they're giving up under 100 yards a game on the ground. But, um, yeah, I do suspect this will be a, a very close game uh, and possibly quite high scoring, too. I do think though that Houston does have the favor being that they are um, at home. They're coming off the loss, so I think they're a little ticked off. Um, but again, I don't know how this team's going to react after that. You, you may be right. Maybe they, this is a psychological, as much as last week was a psychological test for UCF, this week is a psychological test for Houston uh, at home coming off of a loss. So, I don't know. I can't. I can't quite get a good feel for this game. I, I, 
I still like Houston at home, but um, I also I just think it's going to be closer than maybe even Vegas thinks it's going to be with a 9 or 10-point number. It's uh, Saturday on ESPNU at 12 noon, another noon game. So, uh, Allie, check the weather here on that one, too, because... Uh, yeah, by the way, real quick while you do that, I think a key matchup to keep in mind as you watch this game, Houston's got some tall receivers. Yeah. You know, Steven Dunbar comes to mind. He's over six feet. Uh, they like to throw that fade pattern in the end zone. And it'll be interesting how the UCF defensive backs play against those tall, physical Houston receivers. I think that's something to keep in mind because Houston likes to throw those jump balls. Uh, I'm sure they will be coached up on that. So that'll be, be something to yeah, it's going to be a warm day uh, on Saturday. High of 87, low of 68. Uh, yeah. Around game time, it's going to be in the low 80s. Uh, and a little breezy, 10-mile-an-hour winds at sure. Houston. So, I also, uh, by the way, I also think the noon game helps UCF because I don't think that crowd will be as jacked up as they would have been as say it was a night game. I mean, it's not that different than what UCF has had to deal with, right? We've been there when UCF played noon games and supposed to a six o'clock game, for example, it's a difference of an atmosphere. So add to the fact that Houston's, you know, I'm sure there's a group of Houston fans that are disappointed with this season. That's already checked out. Now it is homecoming over there, but uh, I, I, yeah, like I said, it, it, you'll know, you'll know, I think in the first 10 to 12 minutes, like who showed up and who didn't show up and what kind of game we're going to get. I'm looking at, uh, let's see, early games. UCF this year is two and one on noon starts. BD at East Carolina at Houston, both of those are at UConn. Both of those were noon starts on the road. UCF won them both. The only other noon start we lost was the Michigan game. So, um, yeah, maybe that does play into UCF's favor. Anyway, all right. So that's UCF and Houston again, ESPNU at noon. And uh, who's calling that game? Roy Philpot, Tom Ramsey with Don Davenport on the sideline. All right, I have no idea who those guys are. All right, anyway. Uh, <laughs> wow, you're just upset because it's not a Syracuse connection. That's what you were looking for. You're hey, looking for a Syracuse. Hey, that's look, all you I, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> listen, this is the, that's, that's the farm system, man. I don't know who any of those guys are. Anyway, I apologize to him. Sorry about that, fellas. But. Um, I'm sure they'll do a fine job on ESPNU at noon. You know, you gave yeah, you gave us like an in depth you gave us an in depth breakdown of the guy that called the game on yeah, my guy Tucci, Matt Mar- yeah, Matt Martucci, because yeah. yeah, well, you know, I I you know, know Matt, you know. you know, we go back ten years, so great, but yeah, but now you know, I mentioned games, blah, well, I don't know who they are. I don't. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. Hey, and we're honest here on the Black and Gold Banneret <laughs> podcast. We're not going to lie to you, and you know. And blow smoke. All right. So All right. UCF and Houston, Saturday at noon, ESPNU. Make sure you check it out. All right. Stick around. We get back after a short break. We will discuss a big weekend and a big win for UCF women's soccer uh, on senior day and what they have to do to get into the NCAA tournament. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on! Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. 
Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Uh, as we roll through, when well, we finished wrapping up football, we got to talk a little women's soccer now because they had a huge, huge win uh, this weekend, uh, this uh, Sunday, in fact, um, at home on Senior Day. Went to double OT against East Carolina, tied it two, and uh, the Knights get the victory on a golden goal in the 101st minute by Morgan Ferrara. And UCF gets a critical, critical victory and a key three points in the American by defeating East Carolina. The Knights are currently at 8-7-1. And And if you're saying, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, as as we've said in the podcast before, the Knights' RPI right now, and I have to pull it up, but um, their RPI is, is unusually high for a team that's hovering around 500 because of the difficulty of their schedule. But they get the win over East Carolina, and uh, and that's key for them in the standings, isn't it, Eric? Well, it is. I mean, they, here's the thing, though. We're going down to the final weekend of the regular season. UCF is currently seventh in the conference standings with 10 points. Cincinnati has 11. South Florida has 11. Tulsa, who UCF plays, by the way, in Tulsa, has 12. SMU with 16, Memphis 18, Connecticut 19. Why that's important. The top six teams in this conference make the conference tournament. So, in other words, UCF right now would be on the outside looking in. And right. they must make the conference tournament, in my opinion, to make the NCAA tournament. They're not going to make the NCAA tournament if they don't make the conference tournament. Now, you know, the thing is, how, the, the good news is I talked about. Two points separates fourth place Tulsa from UCF. And, you know, what stung about UCF and while that East Carolina win was dramatic was they had – bounce back after a tough loss to Cincinnati at home. That's what stung. So now they have, they know what they got to do. The good news for them is they control their destiny here. Uh, you know, if they win out, they will be in the conference tournament, but they have, you know, that's the be- easiest way to explain it. Otherwise you get into a situation where you're going to be score, wa- you know, uh, scoreboard watching other matches over the weekend. And then it could come down to points and stuff like that. And it's not going to be easy. You know, UCF uh, will finish the, this regular season on the road. They're going to be at Tulsa and they're going to be at Memphis, who's playing for a berth in the conference tournament, also seedings and all that stuff. And there's a longtime rivalry in the, with those two schools when it comes to vol- uh, the soccer. So uh, it's a tough spot. And, and you caught the end of that match. I know in person after uh, volleyball yeah. ended, and we'll get to that. But that was a must win. And that was dramatic, as dramatic as it gets, because if they somehow didn't get that win, if they didn't get the result, uh, they would be in a lot of trouble. Uh, as it is, they 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 put themselves in this position now with an opportunity. They just have to qualify for the conference tournament, and then it's a new season at that point, and you got to make a deep run. Uh, but it, it it it's significant. This Thursday night, eight o'clock Eastern at Tulsa is a huge game must win uh, well but they're both must at, wins the rest of the way at memphis on sunday at one o'clock so uh it, it it's there it's then and that's the good news about it is it's in your hands if ucf doesn't get the results it's on, on them you know uh but you're right this is a monster monster game uh for their postseason aspirations i mean there's just no way of sugarcoating it yeah so like we mentioned the game-winning goal by uh morgan ferrara um, a junior on senior day getting the uh, game-winning goal. UCF had two other goals 
uh, from uh, Courtney O'Connell. They actually scored the other two goals in a span of 28 seconds. Uh, here's the person who scored the first goal to tie it at one, senior Courtney O'Connell. Well, first of all, scoring a goal on senior night was just unreal. I mean, the crowd was here, my family, my friends. It was just such a memorable moment. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. But I think, you know, after this win, we really have to bite down and, you know, finish the rest of the season with, you know, the rest of the win. So, yeah, it was such a great moment. I was crying after, and I was really excited. But <laughs> 28 seconds later, Carol Rodriguez got uh, put UCF in the, uh, in the lead at 2-1. to one. Here's what Carol's had to say after uh, after the game. Yeah, we knew how important this game was for us. You know, it was a duo die. So now we're going to just work on small details that we need to improve on and just come out to fight the next game and just um, look for another win. And uh, I wanted to get these in there because it was really a team effort this game. Here's Morgan Ferrara who scored the, go- uh, the uh, golden goal that uh, clinched the 3-2 victory. It was everything. We had to get a win today. There was no other option. Halftime, we just broke it down and said, look, this is not, we're not losing this game. We have to win. Going on the season, hopefully this can start our momentum back up like it was in the beginning of the season and just get us back on track to win these next two games and hopefully get back in the conference tournament and come out on top. Well, you could tell the excitement and the and on, on the part of the players. And, you know, I love listening to Courtney O'Connell talking about how uh, emotional that whole day is, and that's why it's senior day is always tough. I think it, I think it, senior day is the hardest day to ever win a game in any sport because of how emotional it is. On the other hand, here's Tiffany Roberts Sahadak talking about uh, uh, her emotions after the game and how relieved she was after that victory. I'm very relieved. I'm I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm proud of this team. Yes, we are in we are on the bubble, and uh, you know it's just one game at a time. So there's two more. Uh, we're just going to f- uh, focus on Tulsa now um, and, uh, and do our best. You know, I mean, we've, we've put ourselves in a tough position, but I believe in this team. We have a lot of ability, so it's just about, you know, digging deep and getting that final result, and then we'll come down to these details. But I, I believe in this team, and I know we can, we, we're up for the challenge. So they still have, uh, like we said, two matches to go for women's soccer at Tulsa, at Memphis. Both of them yep. must wins. Uh, by the way, the RPI did manage to pull it up. Uh, the Knights currently 52nd in the RPI yeah. nationally. To put that into perspective, the only two American teams ahead of them are SMU at 35 and Memphis, or excuse me, three teams ahead of them. SMU at 35, Memphis at 27, and UConn at 15. So uh, if they're <clears> going <throat> to clinch this berth in the NCAA, or in, right. the, in the conference tournament, not never mind the NCAA, in the conference tournament to get in, they're going to yeah. have to defeat... Uh, I think they are going to have to not just knock off Tulsa, who's just ahead of them in the standings, and keep them from getting uh, from, from from and get three points against them. I think they're also going to have to score three against uh, Memphis too. And Memphis is very good, twelve three and one overall, and twenty uh, seventh, tied for twenty seventh in the RPI with Penn State. So uh, that's going to be that's going to be right. a tough a tough well, road to hoe for UCF. Couple things. First of all, that Tulsa match, by the way, will be live free on the American Digital Network. If you go to the American.org, you can actually watch the match for free. Uh, you and I, Jeff, have worked for the American Digital Network. They yep. do a great job. I, I would expect with the match being at Tulsa that my friend Bruce Howard 
the voice of Tulsa, if he doesn't have to travel, I'm assuming he will call that match. He does a great job. I got to add the privilege of working with him for the American uh, for the softball conference tournament up in Tulsa this past year. So that's an eight o'clock on Thursday night. And again, I, I cannot emphasize the importance of this match. UCF is a point. You know, right now at 10 points, Tulsa's at 12. You get three points for a win, one for a draw. So do the math there. And then you mentioned Memphis. Memphis, 27 RPI. I mean, that's a great RPI opportunity for UCF to knock off a win there and get, really improve the resume also. So there's a lot of factions on that. I want to break down uh, the other teams real quick on the schedule because, you know, we, we like to do that. We like to do the scoreboard watching. Uh, USF has to play Memphis on Thursday night. So, you know, the, if you're UCF, you're actually rooting for Memphis, and that's not hard, to knock off South Florida. And if UCF that can get that out. result, yeah. right, because if UCF can get the win over Tulsa, for example, they would leapfrog uh, USF, uh, it, you know, for there. So that that's a, a, a something to, to, to keep in mind. Uh, and that's the beauty. Again, we've talked about this in the past with travel partners. USF has to play uh, Tulsa to end the regular season. So, uh those are a couple of things to keep in mind. Cincinnati, I'm trying to see where they're playing this weekend and what their look outlook is. But you're right. It's going to come down to the last day, which from a conference standpoint, has got to be exciting. It's been a really good year for the league. Very balanced. A uh, lot of quality in the league, which I think has helped. Now, Cincinnati will finish with Temple, who's the worst team in the league. So that's a huge advantage for Cincinnati. Yeah, they got UConn on Thursday, too. Now, but see, that's the funny thing. It's an interesting one. Cincinnati goes and plays the best team in the league, arguably, in UConn, and then finishes with the worst in Temple. So I, you're probably thinking that Cincinnati will at least get three points there. And, and, and those two combined matches, Cincinnati probably would be thrilled to get four. Uh, so if you do the math there, I think UCF realistically is going to have to win both matches to jump Cincinnati. Uh but again, you made it, you, you said it yourself. The ease, the best case scenario would be for Memphis to knock off. Okay, and I'm going to do this slowly so people can kind of understand this because I know it could get a little complicated. Yeah. For Memphis to knock off South Florida on Thursday night, get a clean win. I don't want a draw, although you know, a draw is not the worst thing. UCF beats Tulsa, and then what you would have in that scenario, UCF would be at 13 points. Tulsa would be at 12 still. USF would either be at 11 or 12 points based on uh, the result on Thursday night. And then what happens there in that scenario is UCF, in theory, then would root for uh, Tulsa and, and, and USF to one of them just get a draw at that point, right. possibly, or one of them just to lose, period. And UCF, like, for example, then if USF were to beat Tulsa on Sunday, then UCF would have more points than Tulsa anyway. So that would leapfrog them into the tournament. Or if Tulsa were to beat USF and USF loses to Memphis and UCF picks up that win with Tulsa, they would have more points as well. So those are some of the combinations to look for as you follow this all weekend long. But the, it's a big, big two nights. And you mentioned it. The Tulsa match, just circle it. And I know you usually ask me this at the end of the podcast. What are you looking forward to? the most? That right there, I'm looking for. Circle that with a big circle. And Thursday is a Thursday, in fact, is a huge, huge, huge night of UCF athletics, as we'll get into with volleyball and why. It's really one of the bigger nights. Jeff, that I can remember volleyball and soccer having on the same night in a long time. 
great segue because we're going to go to volleyball right now. The Knights at 17 and 6, 7 and 3 in the conference, uh, coming off of a split at home, defeated Tulsa on Friday night in three, and, uh, and it was a pretty close match, uh, but got the job done. Uh, and then, but then faced SMU, who's tops in the conference coming in, and got swept in that match in three. Um, SMU, by the way, like I said, first place in the conference. Um, they've had a coach there who's been there for twenty plus years, uh, and then also uh, now Jenny Maurer, uh, the associate head coach, was the acting head coach for that match. As uh, uh, Todd Dagene was under the weather, you know SMU is pretty good, and uh, we had a front row seat for that one. <laughs> Um, for us, we're continuing to grow up, you know, every day in practice, every match, um, we expose a little bit more of our offense, um, you know, and try to clean up those, um, those details, the little things, you know, offensively and defensively. And I think that, um, you know, we, we have found ourselves in moments, um, you know, but again, that's the best competition that we've faced in a while. So, um, you know, that, that pace of play is something that we know that we can execute, um, but we didn't today. Um, and so I think definitely they'll see a different team, a more grown-up team the next time. I will say, though, that we mostly agreed. You know, we pretty much thought after the game, you know, as I was just kind of standing there looking at the, at the box score, you know, SMU was good. They didn't make many mistakes in that match, but they jumped out quickly on UCF. But then it sort of felt like the team sort of found their footing, UCF did. And even though they lost the match... I didn't come away, and certainly I don't think the team came away thinking that SMU was all that much better than them um, in terms of, you know, whenever we get the chance to get them again. Well, that leads to this coming weekend and two huge matches for UCF Volleyball. First Thursday at the venue uh, at 7 p.m. against Cincinnati. And a look at the standings will show you that Cincinnati is one game up in the loss column on UCF in the women's volleyball standings at 8 and 2 in the league, SMU at 9 and 1, UCF tied with Temple at 7 and 3 in the conference. Why is this important? Because remember, like we said before, there's no conference tournament in volleyball. So the regular season winner gets the automatic bid to the NCAA. In addition, UCF gets East Carolina on Saturday, 1 p.m. Usually we play f- matches Friday and Sunday. This week we moved it up a day to Thursday and Saturday. Cincinnati match is huge. East Carolina match is also huge, even though East Carolina is not overly great. They're kind of middling in the American at 4-6. and six. The key right now for UCF, you got to keep an eye on the RPI. Uh, the Knights right now are 60th in the RPI. They dropped only two spots after the loss to SMU uh, at home. Here's who's ahead of them in the RPI from the American. The Knights are at 60, Temple's at 55, Cincinnati's at 47. We got them on Thursday night. SMU's at 44. We just lost to them. All right? That rounds out the American Athletic Conference in terms of the volleyball and the RPI. And you can almost draw a perfect line right at around 64, 65, year in and year out, of who gets into the tournament and who doesn't. UCF right now, like I said, standing at 60 in the RPI. If they can get this win on Thursday night against Cincinnati, that's going to be a huge boost to the RPI and a huge boost to the Knights also in the conference standings because then they will be 
they will have leapfrogged Cincinnati in the standings because they will have that game in hand in the loss column. So, um, like I said, Thursday night, huge match for UCF Volleyball. It's also Dig Pink Night, so if you're going to come out to the match, make sure you wear something pink. Um, in support of uh, breast cancer awareness, they do this every year at UCF. So uh, I know I'll be wearing my pink to that match when I do PA. But the uh, last, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten matches as they head this season ends around Thanksgiving weekend. Um, down the stretch we come, you know, because you play you play double round robin in this conference schedule, and and you can't and you can't leave this match against Cincinnati at home on the board. I think you got to defend the home court uh, against the Bearcats this, uh, um, this Thursday night. So, uh, what say you, Eric? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. that this is that, you know, also you, you know, you want to come off of that loss against SMU by getting a big win too, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I thought if you could split the SMU Cincinnati, you'd be in pretty good shape, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a battle because I, I, I told you, I watched Cincinnati. I called the match last year. Cincinnati played UCF. I called the match on the American digital network with Aaron Campbell, former UCF volleyball player. And I know me and Aaron were very impressed with Cincinnati. They are in a dynamic team, explosive offensively. They're number one in the conference in hitting percentage. I think they have the best player in the conference in Jordan Thompson, but she, she's a dynamic, dynamic player. Uh, she's uh, among the leaders, if not at the top in kills, she's a top 10 in hitting percentage. And and she gave UCF all they can handle even earlier this year when Cincinnati won in three sets. So, uh, you know, they but they, it's part of that sophomore class that she has that is phenomenal. Uh, you know, that that was just tremendous. By the way, I, her uncle is Chris Dolman. Let me right. just clarify. Her uncle is uh, is Chris Dolman. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe she actually is. Chris's, uh, Chris's brother is her dad, Tyrone. Yes. And, uh, yeah. But see, so she's uh, her, her uncle is Chris Dolman, the former defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, but she's number one in kills in the conference. She's averaging almost five kills a game, Jeff. Four point nine five. Uh, of course, it's a matchup of two of the best in kills. Uh, you know, Jayla is right there in third in four point four one. So uh, if, if you're if you're a casual volleyball fan, this is a match you want to see. Cincinnati's exciting to watch. You know, obviously, Thompson gets a lot of the attention but they've got other talented players as well carly norlin carly nolan uh it's in kills as well uh she's a sophomore she's part of that recruiting class tingerhoff leads the conference in assists it is a very dynamic offensive team uh interestingly cincinnati's number one in the conference in hitting percentage uh and, and then ucf is third jeff so this this should be an exciting match if nothing else the key is ucf has to and see if you agree with me Cincinnati is a team that likes to get on big runs, eight, nine, ten points. And next thing you know, you're down four, five, six points, and the set gets away from you. I think that's what happened to UCF earlier this year at Cincinnati. It's what happened to them last year when they played Cincinnati. They got to withstand those big momentum rushes with Cincinnati because they're so dynamic because they could score with Nolan or Thompson. Um, very big test for UCF defensively. Yeah, and interestingly enough, uh, they've only Cincinnati this season has only had – Let's see. One, two. Starting if you, if you take out the first two weekends, they've only had one match that's gone four. It's it's been feast or famine, either a sweep or a five setter. So uh, a very streaky team in Cincinnati. They're coming off actually losing to Temple this past Sunday uh, at uh, Fifth Third Arena 
at home uh, and got swept by Temple nonetheless. And that was after beating yeah, UConn stop. in five. So, and that Temple loss actually snapped a, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven match winning streak for uh, Temple. So, and yeah. Yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> I was kind of hoping they would continue on that win streak, right? Because they're going to be, you know, they're going to be refocused after losing to a very good Temple team, which tells you, Jeff, and you've seen all these teams, and we're, you know, the, the quality, I think, of the American Conference this season is the best it's ever been. I really do believe, and I hope uh, that this league gets multiple bids. I think in the, the league NCAA deserves era. multiple bids. Certainly. Yes. Yes. I hope. Whether they do or don't, I don't know. I can't control what the committee does, but I think they've earned that. They're, this has been a good league in a good year. Yeah, we'll, and we'll see how that work shakes out with UCF uh, at number 60 in the RPI. And again, like I said, beat Cincinnati, who right now is at 47. That's going to boost up the RPI, I think, uh, considerably here for UCF. All right. Uh, let's talk a little men's soccer. Check in on uh, the Knights, who were down in uh, FIU tonight. And uh, but unfortunately came up short uh, two nothing loss for the Knights. They have three matches left to go in the season uh, at Temple on October 29th. That's Saturday, uh, Wednesday, November 2nd at F- or excuse me, that match was canceled. Excuse me. The FAU match was canceled on November 2nd. So then after that, it's senior day, November 5th, uh, one week from this coming Saturday against Cincinnati to uh, close out the year. All right, Eric, I know you talked about um we t- you answered the question earlier about wh- what are you looking forward to the most. And we're going to be scoreboard watching on uh, Thursday, aren't we? Yeah, you got Cincinnati, UCF Volleyball. What is it, 7 o'clock, first serve? Yeah, Volleyball, first serve, seven, uh, or 8 o'clock. Again, or no, I'm sorry, I'm looking at women's soccer. 7 o'clock uh, on, thir- on uh, Thursday night for uh, UCF Women's Volleyball at the venue. Make sure, yeah, I was going to say, make sure you know the time. You got to be there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, se- seven o'clock. And by the way, for those of you, if you want to get there a little earlier than that, softball is actually playing her fall ball mag game early before that. So, you got fall ball going on. I think it's at 4 30 they start on Thursday and they play Friday as well, uh, morning and afternoon. But then you got the volleyball at seven at home against Cincinnati. And then UCF at Tulsa again on the American Digital Network. 8 o'clock Eastern. So, yep. you know, it's the math. Like, people like me, forget the Jaguars-Titans nonsense, NFL <laughs> nonsense on Thursday night. All right, seriously, don't even waste your time with that. Go to your laptop. Go get night TV. Watch the volleyball. Or, you know, hey, if you want to hook me up, that's even better. But just get yourself hooked up to night TV. I'm sure they got they can give you all the details on UCFnights.com. And then go picture in picture. You get the volleyball there. And then you got the soccer on the American Digital Network. And I think it's huge matches for both teams. I think for UCF, it's huge on the volleyball side because they're, you know, the second half of this conference start starts. And you're right. I think it's a big match. I'm not going to say must win. It's too early for that. But it is a big match because uh, the way the schedule breaks out for UCF, they got to go back to SMU later in the year and things like that. So you want to stay within reach of that first place and try to win the regular season title. And then for women's soccer, is already, already dissected. Uh, lots of implications trying to get into the conference tournament. So a very intriguing Thursday night, uh, which you know starts off a very busy weekend of UCF sports because then you, you turn around. You mentioned the soccer going on uh, on Sunday, the last day of the regular season for the American Conference. UCF tries to get themselves in there, a big match against Memphis. Volleyball, you mentioned with the match on Saturday, and then, of course, football with Houston. Yeah, so it's a big weekend again for UCF sports. 
Uh, and you know, the best part is, you know, Thursday night World Series is not is not on on Thursday night either. So you're not so you're not missing a chance for a chance to see the Cubs on uh, Thursday on on Thursday night either. So had to get that in, even though I'm a Yankee fan. All right, Eric. Well, that's going to do it for the Black and Gold Banneret podcast for this week. Uh, Eric, where can people catch you? Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. Just follow me there, and uh, you'll get all the latest of what I'm up to. And hit me up at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow uh, the Banneret at UCF underscore Banneret. Also look us up on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret and blackandgoldbanneret.com, where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes. Stitcher, I'm still working out, but it's also on Google Play. And oh, by the way, newly hosted on SoundCloud. SoundCloud is where we are hosting this podcast. So if you are a uh, so if you're a UCF fan and you're on SoundCloud, uh, subscribe to our podcast right there and uh, give us a listen and give us some feedback too. We'd love to hear from you. So for Eric Lopez, I am Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Go Knights, and we will see you next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.